afternoon, good evening to our wonderful listeners all over the world. Like I always say, like that, because there are seven continents in the world. There are different time zones. So some people are just waking up, some people are midday. You know, the time zones differ. If you go to Russia now, you have well over seven time zones, you know. In America, you have the Eastern Standard Time, the Central Time and all that. So depending on what part of the day you are, we say good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is still Atlanta Discourse. I'm still your host and moderator. My name remains Ade Balugu. Today, we are going forward in preferring solutions. Yes, we go for the facts and profile solutions. Now, today we're talking about Nigeria. How economically we come a sleeping giant. You all know, and we say it all the time, the largest concentration of black people on the planet is Nigeria. One out of every four Sub-Saharan African is a Nigerian. One out of every six black men in the world, black persons in the world, is a Nigerian. Yes, the country is not slightly behind schedule. It is very behind schedule. But I'm sure you all agree that if it recalibrates and gets its act well, things can't just be rejuvenated just like that. We have the numbers. The manpower is there. The professionals are there, especially in diaspora. That is why to deal with this topic, to do justice to this topic, we have brought to you another heroine scholar, the man that fits the billing, Kazim F. Belo, PhD. Welcome to Atlanta Discusser. Thank you, Mr. Adi, for having me. Yes, it's, it's nice being on your platform today. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'm not just going to introduce you like that. I'll let people know what you're made of. I mean, you have a fantastic repertoire about knowledge. Dr. Bello is co-founder and currently the CEO of a private equity investment wealth and project management firm based in Wall Street Circle in New York. That's Africa Capital and Equity Funds Limited, New York, USA. The company is operating in emerging and frontier economies, including its activities in North America. The company is currently marketing a $300 million infrastructure and industrial development fund for emerging economies like Nigeria that we're going to talk about today. He also served as Associate Executive Director with Capstone Financial, a U.S.-based global financial engineering firm, and currently with other director positions in other organizations in the U.S.A., Nigeria, UAE, and Asia. That clearly means your expertise part North and South America, Africa, Middle East, and Asia. So he's also well, had issues reason to work with Credit Union, United States, and so on and so forth. He's a project manager. He's a graduate of the University of Ibadan with BSc Economics and also MSc Economics from the University of Lagos. And he's a project manager. He has tons and tons of, like I said, Kazim Mbelo is a PhD holder. So there's nobody else that fits the billing, we're talking to the right man. Dr. Bello, roughly two yes, years sir. ago, you were in Atlanta discussed, and we talked a lot about E-Naira then, you know? So I want to ask you, what happened to E-Naira? Mr. Ade, thank you again for having me on the platform today to brainstorm on the way forward for Nigeria. I, I am not a staff of the Central Bank of Nigeria, and we are only obtaining information just like me and you on the media as far as data appropriation is concerned. But I remember having a conversation with you on that E-Naira, and the very week when it was sent out, and I said, technically, there's a glitch. It will not work. But two years or so into that now, if I'm not wrong, and it has not worked. The issue there is that um, the central bank pushed it out for some reason, based on what we later had, that somebody sold the idea to the central bank administration. They did not... They did not, I will emphasize that, do the thorough um, investigation and 
interrogation into marketing, empirical research, and all what's supposed to go into a project of that magnitude. We had instances where they said, oh, it was working. And at a point in time, they said, oh, Nigerians were running away from it because the wallets will not work. The, you put your money there. It takes day for you to complete the transaction and all those issues and problems that uh, surrounded that platform. But to be honest with you, I've not had the current administration at the central bank talk about it because don't forget that one of the things that led to the introduction of the e-Naira and e-wallet was because of the idea of hosting a cashless economy, so to say, by the Central Bank of Nigeria. But that portion of that project wasn't well conceived. It wasn't well planned. I mean, we know what e-Naira, e-world currency and e-wallet means and what it does, but the way it was done, they should have done a more empirical analysis and market research to sell that thing. But as it is now, to be honest with you, for the fact that the new henchmen at the central bank have not spoken or talked about it, means that they must have taken that project and trying to run with it to see how they can took it around and make it more effective. It's a good idea. I mean, the world is growing wallet-less, cashless now. Then it's a good idea to have such facility for Nigerians. But the truth about it is that was it well done? From was it well planned and executed from the day go? But we may not be able to interrogate that until we hear from the central bank new team about what they have to do with that inner. But whatever it is, it is still in the system, it is working, but it is not producing that effectiveness as much as it is wanted, especially it was technically destroyed by the Naira designing policy because people that even have the Naira were even worse off during that Naira, whatever they were designing. They, they put money in that wallet, they couldn't get it out. Whatever reason for it, network was not working, there's no Naira anymore. So that actually made Nigeria to lose confidence in that platform. And I'm sure the new executive at the Central Bank is looking at that policy to see how they can rejuvenate it. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I think it's like, like you said, you don't work for the civilian, you're a professional. I mean, it does look to us here at Atlanta discover that I think the infrastructure to absorb the e-wallet was not in place. You know, like you said, it's well intended, but the capacity, the infrastructure to make it work online, it's always the problem. And we know that's an area Nigeria has to work on in the future. Now, I'm asking for a professional view now. There's just a new supplementary budget that the president just sent. I think it's even been passed, you know, and uh, what's your view on it? Because it's two months to the end of the year, expending that amount of money. There are some issues there that people have complained about that it's a bit extravagant and all that. But the question remains that what is your professional view on that supplementary budget? Um, I know when you said people are contesting certain things, it has been watched all over the social media about this so-called budget for the year, for the president of yes, both years. Yes. And when I saw that, honestly, I sat back and I said, I'm not a communication and information expert, but I can tell you that we need to step up the way our government communicates information to the people and how to manage the process. That system was really terrible in the last administration. And with this administration, we've seen one or two things that each is in the communication setup, but they try to rally around and correct the situation. Now, there is nothing absolutely wrong with supplementary budget. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Every country has what they call supplementary budget. And in fact, even corporations, let's even leave public sector alone, leave, even private sectors do have what you call supplementary budget. Now, the reason why public sector or government do have supplementary budget varies a lot. It could be as a result of disaster. It could be as a result of a turning point globally. All of a sudden, when COVID started, it was in January when most countries were about to start implementing that year budget. But by the time we are all in six months of the year, every country on heart, every country, not single one, carry out what they call a supplementary budget because COVID took all the money and they have to plan for it. People were dying, they have to stop it. So a lot of countries do that. You are in the United States, we all got money in our account. That was something for. He was taken care by supplement. And UK, the same thing, Germany, every, everywhere. So the essence of supplementary budget takes care of things like that. And then it has also become a little bit expedient for the new government taking over an administration at mid-year to also have a supplementary budget. Because whatever the past administration has projected for, it may not tally with their own agenda. They may have a different set of priorities, so to say, in terms of economic and social developmental issues. So the issue with supplementary budget is in order. They did come out, but I thought that supplementary budget was coming out a little late, a little late because we are essentially in November and some of the budget items were retrospective. They were dating back to June when they took over. So, I mean, again, you can't blame them for that because a lot of things was going on in government and they have to get people expert to put those budgets together. We had a very bad budget flooding situation in Nigeria towards the end of last year and it's still happening. So you see that most of the things that were listed in the supplementary budget essentially leading to agricultural farmland that are disposed, roads that have been damaged and the chunk of that budget was devoted to those kind of repairs that was devastated the country through the flooding that happened last year. So now, going back to the nitty-gritty of the budget, what I would just say is that when I looked at it, I, I actually studied the document yesterday, um, the document that was sent to the National Assembly for approval, and I believe it has been sent back to the presidency for the president to sign off on it. Now, it actually gives me a little bit of information about the direction of this current government when it comes to budgeting and planning. And unfortunately, what I said from the beginning when this government was coming in, that they should try to correct is still right there because I had the Minister for Budget clearly, very clearly stating that the budget, the supplementary budget is predicated and it's going to be predicated on assumption that they will be able to tap their hand in money here and there. I hope it's not referring to ways and means loan or kind of money that government got that got us into all this trouble that we had in the last administration. But because it wasn't specific where the money is going to come from. They were not specific. But again, I kind of feel the impulse of the government in terms of the financial situation that Nigeria suddenly find itself. But I think going down the line, the budget minister with the presidency will figure out how to get the money. But the truth of the matter is that the minister said it categorically that they don't even have the money. And again, my fear is that they should not go the line of the old administration, the past administration, 
where we end up incurring almost 27 trillion in ways and means in within uh, five years. So the budget, the supplementary is okay. I'm not going to talk about the specific in the budget, like um, what people have been crying about. Again, I would have loved to see a situation where the educational loan fund could be much more higher than the five billion. Although we had that, it has been talked to ten billion, but believe me, it's still not enough. But we will see what happens. They are working on the next year budget, and that is the key. The supplementary budget is just to fill in the gaps of uh, some of the things that the government noticed that they needed to put their hands around immediately. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cousin Bill. But like you said, it's a no-brainer that Nigeria is partially broke. Maybe not in all entirety. Nigeria needs money. Things are not looking good. We all agree that the former government did not do a good job economically. Probably the worst we've seen in a long time. So it doesn't matter who are taking over from President Buhari. They will definitely have a lot of hard work cut out for them. So That's correct. Now, you said you didn't want to go into the details. I will go into the details like we always do here. We saw things like cars for First Lady, to the tune of some billions, more cars for the president, and so on and so forth. We also saw, it's clear in the media, Nigerian media, foreign media also, that cars were bought for state legislators. From your financial professional point of view, do you think Nigeria as a country, battered almost beyond repair economically, should be indulging in such expenses? Um, there's something that we need to understand as Nigeria. Number one, I have not had that anybody has said democracy is a cheap form of government anywhere. We need to come to terms with that. If democracy was that cheap, China would have, have been very democratized with the level of development they have. Democracy is not cheap. But that does not mean we should also not be rational with spending when it comes to fiscal expenditure and spending. The reason why I started by saying democracy is not cheap is that, look, whether you like it or not, you got to empower those legislators and some of those government functionaries to do their job. Well, it is a different thing if per Nigerian excellence or Nigerian standard, we the citizens decide to say, okay, if you want to be a member of this National Assembly, you want to be a minister, you want to be this and that, you got to bring your own car. We're not going to give you a car. Probably we give you accommodation, but we're not going to give you a car. And et cetera, et cetera. Now, so that those ministers will know what they are signing for. But we cannot ask them to come and contest, win election, manage the system, and not have the tools to do the job. Yes, I disagree. In aspect of where the vehicles are coming from, one of them I was seeing on the channel, the senator could not even defend. The, 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 the reporter was not questioning the spending. And I'm not questioning the spending, too. That's why I came up from the angle of saying, look, democracy is not cheap. Whether you like it or not, you got to empower those people, give them the tool to do their job, whether it's the minister or somebody in the presidency or et cetera. They got to have the tools to do their job. But you will not see a single car, Toyota, Volvo, in any U.S. government office. They will go for Ford. They will go for the GMs. The cars that they buy is it, a matter of compulsory. I don't know if it was legislated that way in U.S., but they will not buy a foreign car. So what we need to do, we don't have to argue with those people. I'm telling you, because I see people all over the place talking, I said, this is the problem with Nigeria. We don't go about doing the things the right way. Nobody, as like I said, nobody has told us 
These people should be denied this opportunity. But if we as a citizen, we feel aggrieved and disturbed that in the space of economic futility and unrealized situation going on in the country, let's see if um, we could ask our legislators, our leaders, to also fall in line. Now, we can sponsor a bill. All we need to do is to get some people to sponsor a bill. Me and you can sponsor a bill. We present to this house. God knows some of those that are very progressive member in the house might buy the idea and vote for it. So we just said, look, as what we are not going to allow our legislators and presidency to buy foreign cars anymore. Legislate it. Put it in the rule. Let it be there. But if there's no rule stopping them from doing that, they can do it. Now, unfortunately, that's, that's the reality on the ground. So nobody has said spending millions to buy Toyota when you know, Inesa Moto and the rest of them, Pojo, can give them a good car. But for God knows, they are rational human beings. They should have known better, but they refuse to know better. So my idea is that don't argue with them. There's no point in arguing with them. Let's go and sponsor a bill in the house to compel them to use Nigerian cars. If they pass that bill and that becomes signed by the president, it becomes a law. So when they now violate the law, then we know what to do. Right now, we can't do anything. You can take them to court. The only thing we can do is to talk about it in the social media. In the next year, come, they do the same thing. But the right way is that let us figure out how to see if they can reverse it to promote local manufacturing in Nigeria and industry. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, if the law does not stop it, then they can do it. The yeah, unfortunate yeah. thing there is that, for example, if you look at our constitution, the 1999 constitution that we operate today, the first line of that constitution says, we, the people of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so the please. question is, when did we, the people of Nigeria, ever see that? What are going to ask? <laughs> Where are we? So... Yeah, so there's a conundrum of inconsistency and... Uh, yeah, know, I mean, believe so... me, we can only talk, but we cannot fault those people in the National Assembly. We can only legislate against things like that. I mean, make it a law. It could even be an executive order from the presidency. It may not necessarily be uh, true constitutional or whatever law, but the president can issue an executive order to say, look, uh, in order to promote local industry, we are mandatory government officials and then again, charity begins as own. Well. Presidency uh-huh. must order local vehicles, just as a show of example. Then it trickles down to the National Assembly, to the legislator, to the state, and there it goes. I mean, it's no brainer. We can, as of now, there's no law that says they can do that. You've all heard it from Dr. Bello. We have to lead by example. The Indians have done it in the past, the Americans are doing it. In America, you only see Chevrolet, you know, and all that in government. Yes, in you. So, okay, yeah, so let's go to the nitty-gritty of today. You know, Nigeria, independent 1960, between 1960 and 66, before the first coup, were a beacon of hope for the entire Black race. There was a lot of respect for us in the world. I mean, I've read documents about the Saudi royal family, as of 1962, 63, 64, coming to the University College Hospital in Ibadan for medical checkup and treatment, you know, that shows how high our standard was at that time. We can see that even the likes of China, Malaysia, Indonesia, some did not even have economic parity with us at that time. You know, they looked up to us and all that. So we all know that Nigeria is not doing too well. We are expending a major chunk, and I repeat, a major chunk of all our income now just to service debt. Things are not going well. 
we are about the only oil producing country in the world right now that does not have a functional refinery. So, Dr. Bello, where did we get it wrong and what can be done to change this very, very disastrous narrative about Nigeria? Take your time, sir. Yeah, thank you very much for that historical perspective with which you put the question. And anybody who want to ask the same question, since 1960 to date, it's 63 years. That to me is a grown man, it's a retiree. What have we done and how have we done it? What has gone wrong and what can we do better? As an economic, a development economic, so to say, the more I look at Nigerian economic, socioeconomic, historical perspective, and I try to draw parallel with other countries, what I see more in terms of visible problem that may have created the problem we have is a cumulative effect of indiscipline, period. I don't want to go into details of economic language and theory or what has gone wrong. I mean, most of those who have been our president to date, I don't know anyone who has been an economist among them. We've not had one economist as a president in Nigeria. Not that I'm aware President, Jonathan, president Garadua was the first graduate, actually. Was he an economist? I don't think he's an economist. No, no, though. he was not an economist. I'm saying he was the first university graduate. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> you are right to about that. Okay. But anyway, what I'm trying to say per se is that those are not necessary prerequisites. But what I've seen over the years, like I said, is that we have actually lacked essential discipline from government to government in terms of managing our resources and economy. Now, the point I'm trying to make, Mr. Ade, let Nigeria look back. Let's point out one, one administration, one administration that Nigerians have collectively, we rose collectively say, hey, this government deserves a clapping hand. It was fluid. Instructional framework was good. Governance was good. Fiscal responsibility was nothing. And blah, 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 blah. Now, so if we now pin down the issue to indiscipline and remove other shackles, there are so many other problems that we can look at. But when you look at it, the umbrella that carries all those problems is the word indiscipline. Now, when you spread an umbrella. The umbrella has about close to 16 rings within which the tampoli hold on it. So on the hook of the umbrella, there's a tip on the top. That is the indiscipline. And that indiscipline fed into other part of the umbrella. Now, and I'll define it for you clearly, and I will not go too far. During the Shagari administration, that was the very first time that IMF, World Bank, and Global Economics said, look, it seems to understand that you guys have a problem managing your economy and things are not going right. And don't forget, the very first time Nigeria will see what they call austerity measure was during that administration. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, it came shortly after that administration. And I'll tell you the historical background to the austerity measure. When IMF and World Bank came and experts from abroad came, they sat down with that government and said, look, there are some fundamental error being committed left, right, and center by your policies. But it all boils down to the fact that you are not following the rules. You guys are so much in discipline. You budget something and the budget goes into something else. You plan a project, the project goes into the wind. They started, Abbasoju administration started the Ajaokuta steel complex and the other rolling mills. Shagari administration took it over and messed up with it. 
It was simply because of his financial indiscipline. Nothing more. So the world multilateral institution recognized that and came to that institution and said, hey, you guys got to have to fix this. And the way to fix it is A, B, C, D. They gave the federal government a document. Unfortunately, I don't have access to that document. So when they gave that document, that document, I remember three things there. The first thing is about the exchange rate. That document explained that Nigerian foreign reserve exchange was not being properly managed, effectively utilized and managed. And then the way they were calculating the rate then was wrong. As at that time, a Naira was going for 60 cents of a dollar. Now, the argument of this world organization is that, look, if you are exporting oil as a major crude oil, you need to earn more for your oil than for you paying more to the people on the other hand. If you have a Naira to a $62, it means you are almost selling your oil at a discount. And they gave us some synergies on how to do that so that when you do the right exchange rate, the money that we don't spend dollar in Nigeria, we don't spend pastel in Nigeria. What we need in Nigeria is a Naira and Kobo. So the argument of these people that the multilateral restriction then was that if you sell a Naira worth of crude oil, you only carry 62 cents for it. Whereas in the other markets in the other world, they are getting more money for it in conversion to the contractility to the local currency. So that was the genesis of beginning of deregulation or the foreign exchange, which was started in 1983 during that administration. Now, coming back a little further, instead of Chagari administration applying the rules, the same rule that brought Singapore to where they are today, the same rule that brought Bangladesh out of poverty, the same rule that turned Vietnam into a major exporting country and a major economy with GDP in Asia today. The same rule that brought Australia out of what we call pedestrian economy to become a major player globally today. So it is not as if Nigeria was the first country the multilateral institution attempted to assist. That's why I said the number one problem we have is indiscipline. That government refused to accept the document from IFR. They said, no. We don't want your document. We have experts in economics in Nigeria that can do it. They went ahead and implemented what they call austerity measure that time. Me and you were old enough to remember the outcome of those austerity measures. The outcome of austerity measure resulted in the importation of rice and sugar. Who benefited from it? Umaru Diku. Who benefited from sugar? Baba Adisko from Ibado. Who benefited from all kind of manner of importation? In the name of, that was not what IMF recommended. That was not what they said we should do. But we said, no, we're not going to take their recommendation. We are going to do it at homegrown. And they declare an austerity mention, which went into their pocket. And that was the beginning of their demise. That was why the military took over in 1983 from that administration. Now, remember that Duari, the first Duari Diagon administration does not even want to hear anything IMF. They refuse. They refuse. In fact, they blacklisted IMF. And the reason why they did that was because the IMF came back as soon as those military junta came in and said, hey, the only way out for Nigeria is this thing we gave to your former government. And because of indiscipline, they thought they can do it all alone. And unfortunately, they went back to all the kind of physical recklessness that they were doing. And for some reason, there was no communication between IMF and, and the World Bank. I won't call it IMF because in Nigeria, we have been made to believe that IMF is a taboo. IMF is not a taboo. 
most of the countries that you can point out that are giant economy today was macro and macroeconomic policies that IMF recommended to it. America do not choke food on your throat. They give you recommendation based on disciplinary measures that you can implement and that will work for your economy. They will surely work if you implement them. Now, when Babangida IBB came in, that's what you saw knocking at the door again, IMF. It wasn't even up to three months of that administration. We went back to the same IMF World Bank. No, that was a big debate. Yes. <laughs> now, we have to debate six months. <laughs> the administration was like, okay, from Shagari, we didn't do anything. To Buari, we didn't do anything. Okay, you know what? I don't want to do this thing alone. Let me involve Nigerians. Let me see. What Babangida did was okay. He was thinking, and he said that IMF was evil. And he was trying to expose IMF. I remember then that the then Minister of Economics, who is a Yale graduate, Dr. Olufalai. Olufalai was first text to the government, then he became a Minister of Finance leader. He was, he was the one that telling them, look, I know this policy will make us grow. This is the, perhaps is the only one in the cabinet at that time that voted that they should implement those measures. Because he knows it, it's an economics. He knows it, that that's the only way we can discipline ourselves and do the right thing. But the administration did what, Mr. Day? They, they made us to talk, talk, talk and debate. At the end of the day, we saw IMF as an evil, not knowing that it's our leaders that are misrepresenting it and they are the ones that are devilish about it. Now, IMF cannot take a trumpet and go about Nigeria and be telling everybody, this is my policy, implement it. But it is the responsibility of our government to look at it and say, look, what options do we have here that it will be in the interest of this country? But they are not looking at the long-term interest of the country. What did we do, Mr. Day? We ended up throwing us IMF out of the way because what they were preaching to us was the loan. But let me explain. Let me take one minute to explain what IMF is because I've worked with them before. IMF is an organization that assists any public sector, they don't do corporate. If you want corporate advice, you go to IFC, International Finance Corporation. IMF only deal with public organizations. And their job is not to lend. IMF do not lend money. I don't know where we got it wrong from Nigeria. IMF is a structural adjustment and mechanism organization. They are full of experts that look at an economy, explore the economy, and make recommendations that can turn that economy around. And that's essentially what IMF is all about. And in the process of doing that, IMF will now say, hey, I cannot recommend to you to go and do this and leave you in the middle of the ocean. So because of that, I'm going to give you X amount of billion in dollars to support that recommendation so that you can trickle around your economic mechanism and change it. So when you look at most of IMF loan, it is not loan. It's an intervention fund. Yes, you have to pay back. Because IMF is not a jamboree. But we make an erroneous impression that IMF is all about giving you a loan and interest and conditionality and et cetera. No, IMF, when you're looking for loan for development, you go to the World Bank. IMF essentially will give you a loan when you sign up to assume their recommendation. So in the process of implementing your recommendation, they give you a loan support to make that happen. So I will say that when Babangi that told us that, oh, in a very beautiful speech, I remember that I was due to my TV. I was new in the bank that time, fresh graduate from this college. 
and I glued to the TV. The man was talking a lot of things I didn't even read in, in the graduate economics class. I was so, I was so, wow. And he made it so beautiful that he said, no, we're not going to take IMF because sometimes I've heard in the news that Nigeria took IMF during Babangida. No, we did not. We did not take IMF during Babangida time. We actually rejected it and rejected all the documents. Fortunately, unlike the first document IMF had with Buhari, uh, um, Shagari administration, I had the document IMF gave Nigeria during Babangida time. Please, Mr. Dele, let's Nigeria go back to that document. If we have implemented that document, we will have been better than Brazil. We will have been better than Singapore. We will have been better than Taiwan. We will have been better than Vietnam. Let's even talk about small, small countries, not the big ones like US or um, the European economy. We will have been better. But because we are so much in discipline, our leader does not want to imbibe disciplinary attitude and measures to manage the economy as Defined by IMF, because IMF will insist on their condition, because they know it will work. They know it will work if implemented. But our people, because they know, oh, we're not going to do that. If we do that, we're going to invest money. If we do that, we're going to misappropriate. If we do that, we are taking power out of our hands. So what did Babangida did? He instituted another policy called what? Fund, National Economic Reconstruction Fund. We forgot so soon. That was not an IMF recommendation. IMF never told us to go and create that fund. We didn't take IMF and went for the NEFON. Guess what happened to NEFON? NEFON produced another over 200 overnight millionaires in Nigerians because they were avoiding contracts left hand and center. We are all living witness, deep free, NEFON, everything. They were just dishing up money. That was not what IMF said. That was the beginning of the problem with Naira. Because we didn't follow what IMF and the multilateral institution recommended to us. Let's leave that aside. When Abasha came in, it was a short-lived government. He actually listened to IMF. Abasha did listen to IMF. But the only reason why he did not implement IMF loan, because he had his own agenda, again, is indiscipline. Because he knew that if he takes those documents and implement it, how the hell is he going to lose the economy to treasury? How the hell is he going to be in control? So he was indisciplined and made Abacha to abandon that document again. That is to tell you that there's no single government Nigeria had around. We have not been having repeated recommendations based on in our lack of reckless management of the economy. Nothing more than that. Now, we all saw what Abacha government turned out to. Money all over the place. That's not IMF recommendation. IMF recommendation will have plugged those loose loopholes. It will have blocked them. It will have seen a very managed economy with infrastructure institutions in place. Those are the things. They were not ready to take those infrastructure recommendations from IMF because they thought it would take power from them. Now, let's leave Abasha alone. Abdul Salam government did not stay long. In fact, when they came to Abdul Salam government, you know what they said? No, 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 no. no. You guys stop right there. We are just a transition government. We are not interested. <laughs> no, that's what they told IMF. Believe me, yeah. I've been following this from that from Shagarita. Yeah. And I, I can give you yeah. yes, I can give you historical perspective. They said, hey, you guys will say, we are just a transition government. We are not interested in this. When the new government comes in, you come and take care of it. In actual fact, Abdul Salam government took part of IMF recommendation and said, Oh, you know what? We are trying to talk to them. These are the recommendations they told us in the physical management of the foreign reserves, export, oil earnings, 
and development of non-oil export in Nigeria. Those three things, Abdul Salam government put them together and said, oh, we are going to recommend it to the next government as part of what I have said. If Nigeria has taken those recommendations seriously, believe me, they will not be where we are today. Essentially, there are so many things in that IMF document that we repeatedly given to us and we are rejecting. Now, when we got to a passenger administration, he actually got a brief on his desk about what IMF is doing. President Robert is very well familiar with most of these multilateral institutions, including IMF. So he called them. He called them and said, come, he sat down and listen to them carefully. After he sat down and looked at them very well, President Robert realized that, hey, some of these things you guys are saying we should implement in Nigeria is as good as this. I should leave this as and go and stay in Ottawa. Because you are just technically telling me I don't have power here. I'm just sitting down at a lame dock. I cannot sign off to that. It will take away power from me. But unfortunately, that is the truth. If you want to really democratize the economy, really the economy of shackles, those are the things we need to do. Those are the things that will bring check and balances. That those are the things will make it difficult for the presidency or anybody to mismanage money. Those are the things that will make it extremely hard for anybody to embezzle and embezzle money. And they recommend the institutional, institutional framework and technology and infrastructure. They come with the IMF is not even saying, take this constitutionality and run with it. We are going to give you money to support the institutions and maintain the institutions so that at the end of the day, it will be better for your country. Do you know what President Bashir did? He said, oh, I think I know why IMF and all these people are after us. It's because we owe so much money. Nigeria was owing $65 billion that time. He said, oh, you know what? Okay, I see the treasury that we have money. So, Minister, come, go and pay them the money. He was a colossal disaster. No country pays debt. Public debt is a mandatory part of accounting of a public organization. You have to have what you call debt in your portfolio forever and ever as a public organization. Nobody has said debt is a taboo. But what we are saying is that the debt must be applied accordingly in order to affect and trickle down to the economic impact to compact the economy and make the economy to develop. But that has not been the problem, the solution in Nigeria. We take debt, mismanage it, and let it go into the private pocket, and then we go around and pay back the debt. When President Obasanjo was paying those debt, I was already in the U.S. And I, I just said that time, I said it was wrong. Those are money Nigerians should have used to build infrastructure in Nigeria. And then you go back, assemble experts, to renegotiate that debt. United, for goodness sake, United States hold 13 trillion in debt. Who the hell tell you that they're going to pay it off? What they do is to manage that debt. There's so many tools for you to manage a debt. You don't have to, as a public entity, you don't pay all the debt back. You, you service them and you turn some of them into other instruments. You can manage them. There are so many tools to manage a debt. It doesn't have to be paid back. What you do is that that debt itself is even a money spinner. You can turn me, those debt into let, money. Yeah, let me interject you for a while then because of time. I know you have prior engagement and all that. So, I mean, you made your point. In discipline is a problem. We have to, the focal point should be discipline. And, and well, let me, let me quickly round up this before. Please go ahead. Yes. Uh, so that we could cut down the historical perspective. Let's go to yes, back sir. to the last administration. In the last okay, administration, the worry. the worry, IMF was back again with the government, and they came up with an MFTS mid-term restructuring back with $5 billion, especially when we noticed that we're having inflow problem with forex. And I said, look, 
we'll solve those problems for you. But that is not the primary problem. Your forex is not the primary problem. There are so many fundamental issues wrong with the system that we need to fix. Internally. Yes. Now, essentially on the indiscipline. Now, the central bank governor went to the presidency and told the president, because unfortunately, that's what the president said. He said it on TV. He said, my man said I shouldn't take it. And he will give me a homegrown alternative. That homegrown is the disaster we are witnessing now. So tell me where the discipline is. <laughs> there's no discipline. There's no continuity in policy. I mean, it goes back to the same thing. And there was something you said that I really keyed into personally, because I believe that the problem under austerity measure under Shagari, I think that's where the real problem started. You know, and I think from Shagari downwards, nothing has really changed. We may take three steps forward take 10 backwards. So that's where we are. Now, we are Bolatinubu as president of Nigeria. Do you think this government can rejuvenate the economy? Well, when the government came in, uh, we were sure, running from the election, who is going to be the president? But I have consistently said something. And I said, more than anything else that is pervading the Nigerian economic landscape, again, I will continue to emphasize, it is indiscipline. That's our number one problem. And if there's anybody that is in doubt about what my definition of indiscipline is, just go and run with 80 years of the last administration. And you see a lot of indiscipline action that are taken. And there's no coordination. Everybody was doing whatever they were doing. And accountant general run away with 200 billion. Somebody run away with this. I mean, it's all about indiscipline. Now, I'm again selling this to the new administration. You got to have to plug all the loopholes and instill that discipline in the economy. Invest in infrastructure. Invest in institutions. Those are the things that can stamp out corruption. Those are the things that can make people be responsible or be accountable at the end of the day. Because you cannot approach institutions. You can change it when they are firmly established. But when they are lacking or they are not existing, then everybody is with some caprices. Everybody does what they want to do. And that's what we are saying. So believe me, I don't have an itinerary of steps that the government can take. I don't know if they are doing the right thing right now, but they are at least changing things around. But I will say again, I will recommend to them, the president should insist on disciplinary way of managing the system. If each and every individual in that government, in the portfolio, in the house, in the judiciary, discipline themselves accordingly. Discipline is the heart of doing the right thing. Discipline is the heart of telling the truth. Discipline is a lot of looking back and saying, oh, there are some people that didn't eat dinner last night. What can we do? It's all about discipline and sacrifice. And if we miss that again this time, I guess we probably have a long way to go in Nigeria. There are so many things we can recommend to government, believe me, so many. But where are we going to start from? If that keyword is missing there. All right, fantastic. I just have two quick questions for you before you go. You are a Nigerian, a diasporan, you and your epaulets, you are very good at what you do and all that. So now, Nigeria has so many issues, like you said, discipline is the focal point. And I, to us at Atlanta Discourse, we believe that one of the easy to implement all this or deal with the discipline itself is leadership by example. You know, I'm sure you've been reading in, in the social media newspaper, before the Supreme Court finally ruled that the president had issues of this and that and all that. I'm not going to specific, but do you think the details of those things, because even the court did not clarify the rules of technicality, do you think because of that issue, there could be a moral body on the economy directly or indirectly going forward? These um, are the words you use discipline. Well, I've heard about an about 
the legitimization of the electoral process has to do with the economy. For the sake of patriotism, I don't think Nigerians should think that way. We cannot delegitimize our own administration and expect outsiders to come out and clap for us and say, hey, you guys are doing well. That's not going to happen. There's nowhere that democracy is perfect. We cannot say because there's some dusty hues uh, and capitals around the last election, then the government is illegitimate. No. What the Supreme Court has done, essentially, was to ensure that that government has a legitimacy by saying, look, we are upholding that result simply because whoever is challenging that result has a legitimate appeal or any reason to throw that election away. But after the Supreme Court judgment, my take is that whatever it is, it could have been article that is there and Tunubu on the other side. It could have been obedient, both Mr. Atiku and Mr. Tunubu on the other side. So if it turned up to be President Tunubu that is there today, and the Supreme Court has affirmed that, look, based on what we know for the sake of the law, this man should be government is legitimate. He was rightly elected and sworn in. So let's, for the sake of this economy, for the sake of over 150 million, million Nigerians that are in multidimensional poverty, and the number is still rising, when the government came in, in May, we clocked per capita income per day for Nigeria at $1.75. That's before in May. As of today, less than 7%. We cannot run an economy like that. So my appeal, or my take in this is that whatever you like it or not, we cannot go anywhere after the Supreme Court judgment. The only way anything can happen is for us to wait till 2027, 2027 for us to look at another election. But as it is now, we have a serious assignment and agenda to work with to fix our economy, to fix the system, to improve on our infrastructure. So delegitimizing our government is detrimental to us. It's not helping us as a Nigerian. The earlier we realize that that election is gone and we have to face the burden of uh, fixing the economy, the earlier the better one for last, the... Yeah, one last question. Yeah, I mean, you've been a member of NIDO, fantastic diaspora, and I monitor a lot of your activities. You're always going back to Nigeria to give back lectures and all that. You know, and you have spoken very well. You obviously don't know what you're talking about. You have on the world discipline, which I respect. And we agree with you on Atlantic Discourse. Our problem has been fundamentally being in discipline. You know, we do not stick to the rules. We keep moving the goalposts. There's no continuum in government. So my question to you is that if you are asked to serve, if this government calls you now, Dr. Kazim F. Bello, PhD, you're an erudite scholar, you're good at what you do, will you serve the government? Well, let me read this way. It will always be an honor for any individual from any country to serve in the government. It's not the first time I've been called by any administration to serve. I don't blow my pronoun. When I was at Citibank, they came for me in my office in New Jersey to serve as a director, as a community director for SS County, which is a more or less political space job. And they did that based on my recommendation from somewhere, and my company signed up for it. So I became a director for the Federal Reserve Bank of U.S., the Northeast Zone. So, I mean, if I've been called to Nigeria, believe me, like I said earlier on in my last comment, this is the time for us to sit and articulate a solution for Nigerian problems. We cannot continue to leave an economy that is going down the drain day by day. We are better than yesterday. We are better than today. And we are worse off than yesterday. We are worse off than today, and et cetera, et cetera. So, starving is not a problem for me. 
But the problem is when you get there, like I said earlier on, articulate the reason why you must do the right thing. Be disciplined. If you take those attributes and run with it in government, we will not have multiple number of problems. I don't have a problem serving any government, but if it is going to offer a solution, but I will be out of that door. Immediately, I know I cannot help to change anything over there. Believe me, I will be next day out of that place because it's not something that I resonate with. It's not because I have to be there because I have to be there. I'm very happy being a private sector person. And believe me, it will be better for me to make tons and tons of transactions and activities in Nigeria as a private person than serving in government. I probably have more solution as a private sector person than being a government. If they give me government assignment, they probably going to block me into one aspect of a portfolio. But now, right now, I can do whatever I want to do on the landscape and impact the system in every way. So, but that is to tell you that I will always prefer to be a private sector person because I know I can spread my tentacles and be more impactful there. But if I have to come and serve to fix a specific thing, yeah, why not? I don't have a problem with that. Thank you, Dr. Kazim Bello. You've spoken like a true patriot. Very impressive. I'm sure our listeners, our audience, so to say, have gained a lot listening to you. Nigeria is very indisciplined. From the health sector, education sector, to the military, our fiscal management is zero. That, uh, yeah, we need to up our ante. There's no third world country that has recovered that did not rely on its Dapura continent. Dr. Bello is here. Nigeria, go a victim. He has a lot to offer. He understands the IMF and the World Bank. He's a member of NIDA. Those are the exports you have in America that can come in and change things within the temple of overnight. We are still on Atlantic Discourse. We are about rounding up at Atlantic Discourse. We embrace all faces of humanity to discuss positive news in the world filled with a lot of bad news. We give a voice to the unheard all the way, all the time. We balance information. We search and discuss the facts wherever it leads. We combine the best of the human race to get the best out of mankind. We serve as a bridge always between developing and the developed world. We embrace business, IT, sports, health, history, and faith-based issues. We just don't shy away from the fact. We have just spoken to Dr. Kazim Bello. He's an erudite scholar and he has preferred solution. I like when you mention Vietnam. I always refer to India. I've read the story of Vietnam. They have done what nobody expected. Bangladesh is another parameter in the state. We have the population in Nigeria. We have the requisite manpower. And most importantly, there is a diaspora contingent that needs to be tapped into. We have just spoken to one of them. So thank you, our listeners. We're going to call it a wrap there. Dr. Kazim Bello, thank you for coming to Atlantic Discuss. When the government released the budget for 2024, I'm going to call on you so that we analyze it together. Yes, thank you. no problem. Thank you for spending our time. Don't I know you are very tight schedule. And to our thank listeners, you. that's the wrap here. And we'll be back again with another very interesting topic. God bless you all. Have a fantastic week. Bye.